Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special edition of Employment Matters, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Tara Stingley. Here on Employment Matters, we bring you updates from around the world as we dial in our local ELA lawyers. These good folks practice on the ground in jurisdictions around the globe, working daily to help their clients move through these difficult times. Today, we're chatting with one of our members in Nebraska. Joining us today on the program is Katie Joseph, attorney at Klein Williams Wright Johnson and Old Father in Lincoln, Nebraska. Katie specializes in employee benefits and deferred compensation. And it's my understanding that some of her colleagues state that Katie is to employee benefits what Princess Leia is to Star Wars. And so today, Katie's going to share with us an update on the recently enacted American Rescue Plan Act and its impact on employers. Katie, welcome to the program. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for the laudatory introduction, Tara. (laughs) You're welcome. Well-deserved, I'm sure. So on March 11th, the American Rescue Plan Act was signed into law. And this act is a $1.9 trillion relief package intended to expedite the U.S.'s economic recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic. There's a lot of material in this act, but we're going to focus today on the provisions relating to COBRA coverage. So let's start with the basics. Who does this affect? Well, if you don't mind, I'll start with kind of an overview of what the law requires. So the ARPA has a section that includes a mandatory 100% COBRA subsidy from April 1st until September 30th for employees who have been involuntarily terminated or had a reduction in hours. So which employers does this affect? Obviously, everybody subject to federal COBRA in general. That means you have 20 or more employees. Federal COBRA doesn't apply to church plans. It does apply to governmental employers through the PHSA, but there's a a twist. So interestingly, if you dig down into the text of the definition of COBRA continuation coverage in the statute, It includes state laws that provide coverage similar to COBRA. And at last check, most states do have so-called mini COBRA laws. The details vary greatly from state to state. So this is an issue for employers large and small all throughout the United States. And so how does the act affect employers' obligations under COBRA? What can they expect to be different under the newly enacted act? So what you can expect to be different is most of the time employers don't contribute towards COBRA coverage. There hasn't been an obligation to do so for several years. This changes that for people who have had reductions in hours or who have involuntarily terminated employment. For those folks in that group who were covered by a group health plan subject to COBRA at the time that qualifying event occurred, the employer must provide a 100% COBRA subsidy from April 1st until September 30th. There will also be some notification obligations that we can get into. Okay, so taking that, then who is entitled to a COBRA subsidy? The folks entitled to a COBRA subsidy are obviously the employee affected by the layoff, the involuntary termination, or the reduction in hours, assuming that they were enrolled in group health plan coverage at the time that event occurred as well as any COBRA-qualified beneficiaries who were enrolled in coverage at that time. So that would include a spouse who's covered under spousal coverage, children covered under family coverage, and in general, that group. 
Okay. And talk to us for a moment about this extended election program that's been mentioned under the act. What kind of qualifying event triggers this election period? So it's the same set of qualifying events, an involuntary termination or a reduction in hours. The extension applies the act retroactively. So people who were still in their COBRA election period at the time as of April 1st, 2021, or people who are still within their maximum COBRA coverage period are entitled to the subsidy if they had one of those two qualifying events. And it doesn't, it applies to people who elected COBRA as well as to people who either haven't yet made an election or who elected COBRA and let the election lapse. And so is this optional election change period, talk to us more about what the details of that are and are there any limitations on it? Sure. The optional election period is is different from that extended election period. This is something employers can choose to implement. They may provide it, but they certainly aren't required to. The provision allows employers to permit individuals to enroll in different coverage than the coverage they were enrolled in at the time of one of those qualifying events. So the COBRA nerds among our listeners will know that normally the rule under COBRA is you can only elect the coverage you had at the time of your termination of employment. This lets you pick something different subject to a couple of rules. Limitation one, the other coverage can't have a greater premium. Limitation two, it has to be an option that's offered to similarly situated active employees. So you can't have a special group health plan just for the people who are entitled to this COBRA subsidy. It also can't be coverage that's limited to HIPAA-accepted benefits, qualified small employer health reimbursement arrangements, or health-flexible spending arrangements. Well, and each of those benefits seems like it provides a, a nice level of protection for employees under this act. But how long will this COBRA subsidy last under the act in terms of what was put in place by Congress? Generally speaking, the subsidy lasts until September 30th, 2021, or until something changes legislatively. It can end earlier if a qualified beneficiary becomes eligible for coverage under another group health plan. So for example, if somebody is rehired by a different employer and eligible for coverage under that employer's plan. can also end earlier because the maximum COBRA coverage period ends earlier or if the qualified beneficiary becomes entitled to Medicare. Now, we know that COBRA has multiple notification obligations for employers, whether there's a change in eligibility or certainly upon a change in status, usually termination is when we think of those notification obligations being triggered. But with respect to the act, what notice are employers required to provide about these new benefits relating to COBRA? So there are two main notice obligations, and then there's one that's sort of time sensitive. Employers will need to update their general purpose COBRA election notices for use between April 1st and September 30th to include reference to this subsidy. We're expecting to see a model notice by April 11th, so sometime in the next couple of weeks, hopefully. The updates to the notice have to describe the availability of premium assistance, the option to enroll in different coverage if the employer is going to offer that. They have to describe the forms necessary to establish eligibility for premium assistance, include some contact information for people who administer COBRA coverage, describe the extended election period, and there's an obligation under the Act, I think we we just discussed, how coverage can terminate early if somebody becomes eligible for other group health coverage. 
an employee in that situation has an obligation to notify the person who's providing subsidized coverage that they're eligible for something else now. So your updated general purpose COBRA election notice has to include a description of that obligation, as well as the penalty for failure to provide the required notice. The other category of notice obligations, we talked about that extended election period for people who still haven't made their COBRA election, but are still within the election period as of April 1, or people who made an election and let it lapse, and who are still within the maximum COBRA coverage period. The folks in that group also get a notice of this extended election period, and that notice, importantly, has to be provided to them by May 30th. The DOL is supposed to provide model language within 30 days of the enactment of ARPA. We would expect to see guidance by April 11th. Hopefully, that'll come out a little earlier because employers have a pretty short runway for compliance. There's a third notice that I wanted to mention. So employers are also going to need to track and provide notice in advance of the period when that COBRA subsidy expires. So it has to be provided 15 to 45 days before expiration. Again, we expect a model notice out by probably mid to late April. This is only applicable where coverage expires due to timing. It's not applicable where coverage expires due to the person becoming covered under another group health plan. So we know the American Rescue Plan Act addresses tax credits in multiple areas. How do the tax credits work with regard to COBRA subsidies in particular? Here's the good news. Congress did not leave employers holding the bag on this. Where you're required to subsidize somebody by the ARPA, you are entitled to a credit against the employer share of Medicare with respect to all of your employees for the premiums that you otherwise would have received. It's payable to the employer maintaining the plan if it's a plan that's not fully insured and not a union plan. The credit is also available to governmental entities, which is great news for them. There are slightly different rules for who receives the tax credit with respect to state mini COBRA coverage, where, as we discussed, the subsidy also extends. So the credit is capped at the employer's share of Social Security tax on all employees with respect to wages paid in the calendar quarter. The excess over the cap is refundable, and it can be advanced. Details on how to claim that refund or how to get an advance are still forthcoming, I would watch IRS guidance in that regard. Notably, employers can't claim the same dollars under the employee retention credit or under extended emergency paid sick and family leave tax credits. In other words, there's no double dipping. Similarly, you can't treat these subsidized premiums if you claim the tax credit for them as payroll expenses for purposes of Paycheck Protection Program loan forgiveness. Just a a general rule where where you're getting a benefit from the federal government, don't try to duplicate it under another one of these programs. Now, when we talk about COBRA, most of us tend to focus on health insurance coverage. But how does the act affect non-major medical plans that are subject to COBRA? I'm thinking about health flexible spending accounts, dental insurance, vision insurance. How are those impacted under the act? So in thinking about this, I start with the general definition of a group health plan for purposes of COBRA. It's it's an ERISA-covered plan, or in the case of a governmental plan, a, a plan that provides medical care. The Act expressly carves out health-flexible spending accounts, so that reduces some complexity for employers. 
However, based on our reading of the text of the statute, it seems to extend to non-major medical plans. That includes things like dental coverage and vision coverage. It also potentially includes some benefits that employers might not necessarily think of as providing medical care. So for example, most employee assistance plans include a few counseling sessions. Regulators have previously taken the position that including benefits like that renders something a group health plan subject to COBRA. It's to be determined how extensively regulatory agencies are going to push the definition of group health plan here. I'll also note that some folks are speculating that the drafting of the statute erroneously left open the possibility of including dental and vision coverage. Time may prove me wrong, but I don't think that was a mistake. So this this law is patterned after the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act, or ARA, from 2008. Guidance under ARA, not guidance under the law we're talking about now, but guidance under the previous law, included dental and vision coverage. So I I wouldn't be surprised to see subsequent guidance saying the COBRA subsidy applies there too. So there's been some commentary about the EBSA disaster relief notices for 2020 and 2021. Can you tell us how the act interacts with the indefinite COBRA deadline tolling under these disaster relief notices? The short answer is I can't. Uh, (laughs) For for the non-COBRA nerds in the audience, These two notices that you just mentioned pretty much indefinitely extended the deadlines to make some COBRA elections for employees. They were first put into place effective March 1, 2020, and the tolling of those deadlines was supposed to end 60 days after the end of the National Emergency Declaration. The statutory authority regulators relied on to do this limited the ability to disregard periods of time two periods of one year. Obviously, it's been a year since March 1 of 2020. So what that second notice, 2021-01 did, was say, we will compute everything on an individual basis. So if I was originally supposed to deliver my COBRA notice on April 1 of 2020, I still have a couple of days left in the month of March to get that into my employer. The statute does not address how this deadline tolling is going to interact with that extended election period. It is possible that regulators will view people who still have open tolled elections as eligible for subsidized coverage, provided they're still in their maximum coverage period. My general recommendation is that employers make a list of anybody who potentially qualifies for that extended election period and get in touch with their COBRA vendor, their insurer, or their stop-loss carrier to plan for implementation and, and see what might potentially be involved. Given the runway here, I don't know that it makes sense for those with large health plans or who have had significant layoffs to wait to start planning for implementation. Well, there's definitely a lot to unpack in the American Rescue Plan Act. Are there any other special issues relating to COBRA continuation coverage? Sure, there are a few. One of those issues is exactly what involuntary termination of employment means. The statute didn't define that. To the extent people are looking for something predictive, I think the guidance under the 2008 law is the best we have. Now, I'll note that employers can't rely on this, but to the extent you need a prediction for planning, this is the best information available. So under the 2008 law, an involuntary termination required, number one, severance from employment, 
Number two, due to the independent exercise of an employer's unilateral authority to end that employment relationship. And third, that the employee was willing or able to continue working. So, for example, the label that one assigns to the end of an employment relationship is not necessarily dispositive. Sometimes severance arrangements are couched as voluntary terminations, but in substance, they are involuntary from the employee's perspective. The other issue that I'd just point out is the consequences of noncompliance. Ordinary COBRA penalties continue to apply from my perspective, and that's a statutory penalty of up to $110 per day for failure to provide the required notices. So it's a notice obligation, but it's got some serious teeth attached to it. Qualified beneficiaries can also sue to recover any funds that they've expended that would have been covered had they been extended COBRA continuation coverage. That can present issues for insured plans with the insurer who doesn't want to cover it if somebody incurs high claims and then comes back to seek coverage. For self-insured plans, it can also present issues with your stop-loss carrier. COBRA provides a nebulous category of other relief available for violations of the act, as well as attorney's fees. As we discussed previously, employees have an obligation to notify employers or the person providing COBRA coverage if they become eligible for other group health plan coverage. If an employee fails to do that, there's a penalty of $250 or, if greater, 100% of the premium assistance provided. What happens if employees pay these premiums anyway? If an employer has an employee who, for whatever reason, sends in their COBRA premiums anyway, but they qualify for the subsidy, the employer is obligated to reimburse the employee for those funds. Notably, if an employer does so, it could still claim that offsetting tax credit. And what about with respect to domestic partners? Is there any guidance on that issue? This is an interesting issue. So domestic partners and COBRA coverage have been sort of intention since the Obergefell case passed. What we know is that federal COBRA does not apply to domestic partners as opposed to spouses. Domestic partners aren't COBRA qualified beneficiaries. However, some employers voluntarily extend continuation coverage to domestic partners. The implications are, for employers who have this practice, it's the same rule as always. Domestic partners don't have an independent COBRA election. However, the employee may be able to elect to continue their coverage. If an employer subsidizes domestic partner continuation coverage, I would say based on the state of the law right now, that employer should not claim the tax credit to the extent of the domestic partner portion of the premium. So another question on tax credits. Talk to us about the health care tax credit and what implications that have under the Act. The health care tax credit essentially operates to subsidize premiums for people who get their health insurance through the exchange. This COBRA subsidy is coordinated with that credit. If you are getting subsidized COBRA continuation premiums, you are ineligible for the health care tax credit with respect to any months you got subsidized premiums. Okay, so we've had a lot of discussion on COBRA subsidies, tax credits, do's and don'ts. Any final comments or other recent changes that would be of interest to our listeners? Yes. In fact, these are not necessarily COBRA related, but they're employee benefits relevant. So the ARPA increased temporarily the deferral amount that's permissible under dependent care assistance plans to $10,500 or half of that for people filing singly. 
employers have until December 31st, 2021 to adopt a plan amendment. Earlier legislation, the Consolidated Appropriations Act, made some related flexible spending account changes that I'll just briefly touch on. It's optional, but employers may implement a 100% carryover for health flexible spending accounts and dependent care flexible spending accounts for carryovers from 2020 to 2021 and from 2021 into 2022. There's also an opportunity to permit more flexible election changes for flexible spending accounts, and employers have until December 31st of 2021 to adopt a plan amendment. In addition, we've historically gotten a lot of questions about employer repayment of student loan debt. The Consolidated Appropriations Act extends some earlier laws that permit employers to cover up to 5250 in employer-paid student loan forgiveness under an educational assistance plan. The Consolidated Appropriations Act extends this through 2025. So employers will definitely need a plan amendment to permit this type of repayment. We recommend putting that amendment in place before you actually implement the program. So Katie, one final question. There have been several questions that ARPA leaves unanswered. And until we get more guidance from the federal government, where can employers look for a little more guidance on these issues and reading the tea leaves on what exactly is required? Tara, I tell employers to start with their partners in providing these benefits to begin with. So for insured plans, that means contacting your insurer to ask about their plans. Certainly call your COBRA vendor to see what their plans are for compliance. And if you're a self-insured plan, contact your stop-loss carrier to get their thoughts. For those looking for something perhaps a little bit more predictive, they can look back to the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act from 2008 that contained a somewhat similar COBRA subsidy. And there's plenty of guidance issued on that. Now, notably, employers can't rely on guidance issued under that law. It's simply predictive. I'll also note for the group that health coverage has changed a lot since 2008. I wouldn't be surprised if some of the details change from 2008 in terms of implementing this subsidy. Well, Katie, this has been a great discussion on issues under the American Rescue Plan Act. It's definitely a lot to take in, but thanks for making this legislation a bit easier to digest. Thanks, Tara. If you'd like to connect with Katie or any of our lawyers around the world, please search for them on the ELA website at ela.law. Just go to the big Find a Lawyer widget in the center of the page, where you can also sign up to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars, download white papers, get on-demand content from our online library, or access the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Tara Stingley. Thanks so much for listening.